Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Last words. A dying man can do nothing easy. Notre Dame was said to have made this statement. His last prediction, I guess you could say, was tomorrow at sunrise. I shall no longer be here. Leonardo da Vinci lamented at the end of his life, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Now keep in mind, this was the man that was noted for many, many accomplishments, not the least of which the painting of the Mona Lisa, and I think that is the most visited uh, piece of art and most witnessed piece of art that there is in the world. It hangs in the Louvre in Paris, France. Winston Churchill said, I am bored with it all at the end of his life. The poet Emily Dickinson made this statement, I must go in for the fog is rising. Frank Sinatra said, I am losing it. This was the man that was famous for saying, throughout his lifetime, that I did it my way. But at the end of life, he said, I am losing it. And I thought this to be very significant. Elvis Presley, in his last performance, this man that was given the title of the king, uh, at his last performance in Indianapolis, Indiana, with a stadium filled with people, He looked around at his audience upon the last song that he would sing, and he made this statement, I hope I haven't bored any of you tonight. Famous last words. These words are, of course, fascinating. They are intriguing. But let's look into God's eternal word, and let's listen to the last words of some people that we see in the word of God, characters that we can learn from in God's Word. Solomon was a man that was noted for his great wisdom. We understand that this all began with a prayer that he prayed as a young man realizing the responsibility and the burden of leading such a great kingdom and God's people, the Israelites, and feeling totally inadequate for the responsibility The Bible says that he gave an enormous amount of sacrifices unto the Lord. And he prayed this prayer. He said, I'm as a little child. And I don't know how to go out or to come in. And he said, who am I to lead such a great a people? I need your help. I need your direction. I need your anointing. I cannot do this by myself or alone. And the Bible tells us that the Lord endowed him with wisdom because he did not ask these things for himself. He did not ask in pride, but he asked in humility. And as a result, the Lord answered that prayer. 
and he would be known as the wisest man at that time that would ever walk the face of the earth and the wisest man ever to walk the face of the earth outside of Jesus Christ. And we still reflect upon the words that he has written in the three books that he wrote in the Bible. The Song of Solomon, which he wrote when he was a young man. The book of Proverbs, which he wrote, theologians say, when he was in his middle years. And then the book of Ecclesiastes as an elderly man. And I find that probably the most intriguing of them all because the book of Ecclesiastes, he is talking about his regrets, things that he would have done different. In that book, he said in chapter 12, he said, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Remember when you're young, when you have your vitality, when you have your energy, when you have your strength. Remember your Creator at that time. When you're able to worship, when you're able to pray, when you're able to give service to the Lord, remember your Creator at that time. And this man was used of God to build the magnificent temple that people would come from thousands of miles to come and witness the beauty of that temple. We know that even the wailing wall of the remnants of that temple is a place even to this day that Jewish folks go and worship every Sabbath. One of the most famous places in all the world is that Temple Mount. And it was this man that constructed a temple and was the leader of God's people during that period of time. And it was, as the scripture describes it, exceeding magnificent. And everything was overlaid with gold. Everything was beautiful. Everything was in perfect order. We know that he was also a man that was blessed with riches. The Bible tells us different from other kings of that time frame or ones that preceded him and even ones that would follow him that he had peace all of the days that he ruled in Israel. And I believe that was in large part because of his father walking with God and praying and trusting the Lord, living for God faithfully. And he wanted this for his son Solomon, and God granted that request. However, I don't know that that was the best thing for King Solomon because there was no conflict, because there was no resistance, because there was no struggle. It seems as though this man... Uh, he didn't have a reason to, to really fight through things and he became comfortable and complacent when it come to his relationship with God. And the Bible says that as he married many wives, they led him away into idolatry and pagantry and he began to worship their gods and he began to know more about their people than he did the things of God and the people of God. He began to make infinities with other kings in the area to maintain peace instead of standing for what was right. And I feel that he realized the error of his way in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 14 when he made the statement, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. 
and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. These were his last words. He said, I want you to remember. I want you to note this. I've had it all. I've experienced it all. I've been at the top. I've had riches. I've had everything that I desired as far as the flesh at my fingertips. And at the end of the day, it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. Famous last words. I read in the Old Testament about the churlish and foolish man, Nabal, who said when his servants came and told him that David and his band of men were needing nourishment, he said, Who is this David? And he said it in a sarcastic manner because he knew very well who David was. This was the giant slayer. This was the deliverer of Israel. Everybody, his fame had swept through the land. And it's even proven by Nabal's next statement that he knew exactly who David was because he said there's many servants that break away from their masters these days. In other words, he was implying that David was not under the submission that he should have been and he was maligning David's character. And the Bible says as a result his last words were that he, he would make fun and ridicule David and his heart failed him. The officer of whose arm the king leaned in Second Kings, the Bible says that he questioned the prophet and the prophecy that was given from the Lord and said, Now behold, if the Lord shall make windows in heaven, might these things be? In other words, he was questioning the ability of God. He was questioning God's ability to sustain his people and to answer prayer. He was standing against the word that God had spoken through the anointed prophet. And the prophet whirled around and pointed his finger in his face and said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. And this man perished, having seen the miracle, but unable to partake of the miracle. Famous last words. We also see Samson. We know that this was a young man was anointed of God and God had used tremendously throughout his lifetime even though it seems that he had no true commitment himself in serving the Lord at a young age. In fact, he took dangerous, dangerous chances and put himself in jeopardy many times outside of the perimeters of what God had instituted for his life. There was a time when a young lion roared against him and he was able to slay the lion, leave it on the side of the road, and he came back and was able to feed his family from the honey that was in the carcass of the lion. But if you will note that the Nazarite vow that he had taken was one that said you were not to touch a dead animal or a dead carcass. This man would take awful chances, and finally we understand it was because of him placing himself in jeopardy because he gambled with his soul that it was Delilah that was able to find the secret source of his power. And she cut the locks of his hair off. And when he cried out to the Lord and shook himself as in other times when Delilah said, the Philistines are upon thee, Samson. And he went out expecting to feel the same anointing and the same power that he'd always felt. 
And the scripture notes that he went not, that the spirit was taken from him. The anointing was not there. But after a period of time of being in captivity of the Philistines, when they gathered together to mock him as a buffoon and have a party and jeer him, the Bible says with his eyes already gouged out, he is in a blinded, stupering state, and he is led by a child, a lad, to the pillars whereupon uh, the house stood. And the Scripture says that he cried out to the Lord, his last words, if only this once, if only this once. And the Lord anointed him. And the Bible says that there was greater victory in his death than there was in all the victories that he had accomplished in his life. The Hebrew writer tells us, you know, it's not all just those negative things or people that was speaking or expressing regret that we note today, but we also find in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying... Blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, worshipped, even though he was weak, even though he was dying, he worshipped as he leaned upon the top of his staff. I want to be said it to be said of me that at my last days, my last dying breath, that I was still a worshipper, that life hadn't got me down situations, problems, difficulties, uh, things that we face, opposition, none of it had kept me from praising God, giving worship to the Lord. Even in a frail, weakened condition, he said, I may have to lean up on the top of my cane, but I still got some praise. Uh, I still got some glory. I still have some worship to give unto the Lord. I wonder if we just couldn't take a moment right now and let's worship the Lord together. And give him praise today. Also the Bible said of Moses. When he was led to Mount Nebo. And it was his final moments on this earth. He said there is no one like the God of Jeshurun. Who rides on the heaven. And on the clouds in his majesty. And of course, the most famous words of all was the words of the Lord on the cross. His final words spoken before He died for you and I on Calvary's cross was, It is finished. And I like to say that though He said it is finished, amen, life began for you and I. Hope started for you and I because He was willing to bring that to fruition. He was willing to be the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was willing to complete that sacrifice, amen, where His blood was shed that would cleanse all sin, that would wash away all sin, that would give us hope, that would give us peace, that would give us assurance of salvation. I'm so thankful that, that he went and he didn't stop in the course of things, but he went all the way to the finish and said, it is finished. It's complete now. I can cleanse and make you whole. I can give you an opportunity to be saved. Oh, if you're thankful for Calvary, you ought to clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise. 
as I considered this subject this morning, famous last words or a last message. As I thought about it, I thought about the disciples of Jesus. These were eyewitnesses. These were people that for three and one half years from the time that they were called, some of them on the seashore and some of them uh, were called in different places and walks of life. Uh, We know that Matthew was called from the office of a tax collector. We know that Luke was a doctor. We know that Peter, James, and John were fishermen and all different walks of life, and he brought them close to him, and they would follow him. Can you imagine? We preach about it. We read about these very descriptive miracles in the Word of God, and we rejoice, and, and we, we, we imagine what it was, would be like to listen to the teaching, the very voice of the Lord as he would speak to them and, and share with them Uh, the words of eternal life and he would give them the principles that he would like for them to live by what it must have been like to be there on that sermon on the mount and hear him express those beatitudes blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the peacemakers blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled what a wonderful experience it must have been as they were walking down the road with Jesus and they see a funeral briar that is coming close to them and Jesus, instead of just uh, walking over to the side of the road and allowing it to pass and showing a salute of respect, he stops the funeral entourage and he reaches out to the widow's son that is there dead and has been dead now, no doubt, for a long period of time. And he raises him from the dead. And what was tears of grief and sorrow suddenly is turned into rejoicing and thankfulness at what the Lord has done. I'm telling you, that's how God works. That's how God can move in a situation. That's how the Lord is able to intervene in situations. You may have came to this church, amen, here this morning and have troubles and problems and burdens in your life and a broken heart, but you can leave this place after you've collided with the Spirit of Almighty God. You can leave this place rejoicing. You can leave this place with hands lifted. You can leave this place having that burden lifted off of your shoulders. You can leave this house this morning feeling complete and feeling the peace of Almighty God. But I've often wondered what it must have been like to be there and note the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. What it must have been like to be on that boat as they're in the midst of the sea and the storm is tossing them to and fro and their ship is taking on so much water that it's apparent that if something drastic doesn't happen soon that they're going to be swallowed up by the sea. And Jesus steps out of nowhere. The Bible says walking on the sea. Amen. Coming to them. And they cried out to him. And when he steps on board, suddenly all of the waters that were uh, in turmoil and chaos and the wind that was blowing was settled. And the Bible says that serenity came to that ship. Peace came to the people's hearts that were on that ship. All because we serve a God. God that's in control of the storms of life. 
I'm going to just say to somebody here this morning, your life may seem like it's spiraling out of control. It may seem like the wind is blowing against you, but I've come to preach to somebody right here today that we serve the one that's in control of the storm, that is able to speak peace into the storm, that is able to change one one situation, totally turn it around if we could believe and trust Him and place our faith in Him. Oh, what it must have been like to be these disciples. And so we read of their accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all come from different perspectives. We know that the first, first of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're what we call the synoptic Gospels, or they kind of have a way of going through the life of Jesus and they harmonize with one another these three Gospels, but that fourth one, sometimes we look at that and we scratch our head and say, my Lord, where does John come from in all of this? Because he starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with him. All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made. And he just goes on and he begins right there giving us uh, a revelation of who Jesus Christ really was. That it was more than just a good teacher. He was more than just a rabbi that come along. He was more than just another scribe in the synagogue. But he in fact was God manifest in the flesh. He was the Messiah that they had been looking for. Amen. That he was a God man. That there was something different about him. And these disciples, they, they describe in detail. It's an awesome thing to read. And I know that there's other disciples that doesn't necessarily have, they do not necessarily have a, a gospel that they wrote and that is recorded and is in our Bible. But we also have words that they spoke that give a message to us. And as I was considering all of this and thinking of this, I thought there was none among them that gave any more powerful of a message to be remembered than Judas, the most unlikely one that we think of sometimes. I'm telling you the message that he gave for you and I to remember is probably as great of a message as anything that is written in any of the Gospels or any expression that is shared by any of the disciples and followers of the Lord. The Bible tells us that just in a few verses previous to our text this morning, Judas went to the chief priest and he said, What will you give me? Notice the wording of that. He said, What would you give me if I was able to deliver Jesus to you? I don't want to ask this question this morning. Does your relationship with the Lord have a price tag on it? Does your relationship with the Lord, is it for sale in some way for the right price? If the right thing should happen, if I was allowed to do the right thing, or if there was something that come along that was just appealing enough, would that be enough to cause you to betray him? 
Would that be enough for you to give up your relationship with the Lord? You've got to realize this man had walked close with him, near to him, had seen with his own eyes the miracles of Jesus Christ, had heard the powerful words that he had preached and taught to those that would hear him. He had witnessed all of these things, and yet he said, what will you give me in turn for the Lord? If I deliver him to you, what would you give me for my benefit? I want to tell you, I don't want to have anything in my heart that is for sale. When it comes to my relationship with God, I don't want to have a price tag on it. There is nothing, nothing, nothing. I want to, I want to underscore this. I want to put it in italicies. I, I want you to understand it here this morning. That nothing is worth your relationship with God. Nothing is worth you walking away and backsliding and falling away from the Lord. Whatever you must do, amen, you've got to do everything within your power, amen, to stay right, to keep your spirit right, to keep your heart clean, to walk before Him, to hold on to your relationship with God. Oh, why don't you lift your hands with me right now. Let's praise Him. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Come on, let's really talk to him. And the Bible says, from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. From that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Are you looking for an opportunity? Are you looking for an out? Are you looking? You know, most, most folks don't want to take responsibility. They, they're looking for something to blame. Are you looking for an opportunity to betray the Lord? I've seen it in people's eyes looking for an opportunity to walk away from God. Looking for an opportunity to become offended. The Bible says if you're looking for one, it's going to happen because the scripture says emphatically offenses will. Hello? They will come. Not maybe, not perhaps. But there's one thing for sure. There's one thing that is certain. They will come. Oh, it's going to happen. You're going to have an opportunity. In other words, the devil is going to supply an opportunity. If it's in your heart to walk away from God, there it may take a while, but you will be provided with the opportunity that you're looking for. If you're looking for an opportunity to quit, you will find a reason somewhere in this journey to quit. If you're looking for a place to check out, you will find an opportunity and a place in this journey to check out so you have to make up your mind David a man that had to come all, overcome all kinds of obstacles a man that had giants in his life a man that had people that sought to stone him a man that was chased like a wild animal in the wilderness the Bible says that he made this statement in Psalms 23 I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever in other words my mind is made up I'm not looking for an opportunity I'm not looking for an excuse 
chance. I'm not looking for my chance. I'm not looking to be offended. If I could have been offended, I wouldn't be here. If I could have, if I could have found an easy reason, I would have already had that a long time ago. But I'm still staying in the house of the Lord because I made up my mind and I settled it in my heart. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Opportunity. Opportunities are going to veil themselves. And the scripture says that finally he led them to the garden of Gethsemane. He said, whomsoever I shall kiss, the same is he. And we, we've talked a lot about that exchange that happened between and how intimate that was and how cold-hearted Judas must have become and been to be able to do such a thing as to actually address him and come so close to him, knowing in his heart what was going to take place. And I guess I could focus on that for the rest of the conclusion of this message this morning. But there's something that caught my mind, my heart here today. And these words still ring to us as a message. He said, the one I shall kiss, that same as he. And then I want you to notice those next three words. Hold him fast. When you find him, you better get a hold of him. When I show you who he is, you better take a hold of him. You better hold him fast. Fellas, I know what it is to lose my grip on him. Fellas, I know what it's like to lose him along the way. But if you ever find him, he said, I want you to get a grip on him and to hold him fast. There are a few takeaways that we can receive from this, this character Judas here this morning that I want us to get this morning. Judas, he could tell others what to do, but he was never able to do it himself. He could tell others uh, how to find him. He could tell others what he looked like. Uh, he could tell others. He could identify who Jesus was. Uh, he could tell others uh, what you need to do, that you need to get a hold of him. Uh, but somewhere along the way, he lost his grip himself. Uh, somewhere along the way, he was able to tell others what they needed to do, but he was unwilling to do it in his own heart. Uh, he was unwilling to commit him his own self to the things of You know, I've seen parents that could tell their children that they needed to pray, and I've seen parents that could tell their children they need to be faithful, and I've seen parents that could tell their children they need to be worshipers. But I'm going to tell you, I found out a long time ago, it's a whole lot better to be an example than it is just to be someone that uses words to tell somebody something. If you want it to be something that sticks, if you want it to be something that is received, if you want it to be something that gets ingrained and embedded in people's spirit, don't just talk about it, but be a doer. Amen. Don't, don't just talk about worship, but be a worshiper. Don't just talk about being a prayer warrior, but be a prayer warrior. 
Don't just talk about the presence of the Lord. Don't just talk about revival. Don't just talk about having faith. But exercise your faith. Be involved in the work of God. Be engaged in what's going on. Amen. I think it's time that we be an example. Those of us that know. Those of us that's been around here. Those of us that's been in His presence. Those of us that have seen the miracles. Those of us that have experienced the power of God. We need to not just be those that speak about these things, but we need to be an example of these things before God. Come on, why don't you give him some praise right now? And he also knew if you was ever going to get a hold of Jesus, that you would find him in a place of prayer. Can I tell you, that's where you still get to know him. That's where you still find him, is in a place of prayer. That's where you still get a grip on the Lord. That's where you hold on to him, not, not just... Not just a few months after receiving this experience of the Holy Ghost, but that's how you stay in this thing for 10 and 20 and 25 and 30 years uh, is you stay familiar with the prayer room. You stay familiar with the place of prayer. Not just the prayer room here, but I'm talking about having a prayer room in your life. Uh, daily talking to God and praying and seeking the face of the Lord. And prayer is not just lip service for 20 minutes before church. Uh, prayer is letting your heart be rent before God. Prayer is opening up your spirit and surrendering to the will of God. Prayer is allowing Him to speak to you and allowing your heart to be open to the word of God that would be spoken spoken through the man of God, the anointing of the preaching of the word of God that comes to our hearts. That's what it's that's what prayer is all about. Amen. It's important that we know how to pray and know how to seek God. And if we're ever going to find direction and if we're ever going to find strength and if we're ever going to find encouragement, if we're going to find the joy that we need, if we're going to find the peace that we need, if we're going to find the direction to keep going in life, it's going to come through knowing that place of prayer and going back to that place of prayer often in our lives and seeking the face of God. Again, this was something that he could tell others about, but he didn't know a lot about himself. Because it wasn't, it wasn't Judas and John and James that the Lord said, go with me a little further. But I, I would dare say that it could have been a possibility. It could have been an opportunity that was given to Judas just like it was given to Peter, James, or John. Had he played his life differently? Had he made different decisions with his life? It could have been him that had that relationship with the Lord that others were afforded. Because God's not, not a respecter of persons. He's not one that, that shuns one and draws close another. But he is a respecter of principles. He's a respecter of his word. And the Bible tells me that if I'll seek him, I shall find him when I seek him with my whole heart. 
Amen. I want to seek after the Lord. I want to be a person of prayer. He said, if you're going to find him, you're going to find him in a place of prayer. Amen. Anybody remember what it was like when you stumbled into a church service and the conviction of the Holy Ghost got on your heart? You came down to an altar, and that's where you found him. You found him when you repented. You found him when you, when you humbled yourself before God, and that's what prayer is all about. You can't, you can't really converse with God. You can't really get something from a prayer meeting as long as it's all about you and your pride and, and you're all concerned with yourself and your own situation but you get in touch with God when you come humbly before him and saying God I realize I can't make it on my own I can't do this by myself I'm not big enough I'm not able enough I don't have the strength to but if you will anoint me and if you will bless me and if you will speak to me and if you will reveal things to me I'm confident that you are able to help me at this particular time of my life you can find him in a place of prayer. This message, he shows us how to get a hold of him. He also shows us that there are certain things you can't do if you plan to get a hold of the Lord. First of all, you'll never be able to get a hold of the Lord pointing your finger at somebody else. Mark chapter 14, they're gathered together in Simon's house and they're having a meal together. And there's a lady uninvited, an intrusion, comes into the house without asking permission. She kneels at the feet of Jesus and with her tears she begins to wash his feet. And with her hair she dries them and then she takes a bottle of ointment that she had been saving for this occasion. And she broke the box, the Bible says. In other words, she didn't have control over the contents anymore. When she broke that box, she was not just opening it and pouring a little bit out, but she was giving her all. And if you really want to worship God, you've got to be willing to give your all. If you want your worship to count and be worth something, you've got to be willing to give your all. And the contents of that box went out, flowing out, and a fragrance, the Bible says, filled the room. You know, when you get in the atmosphere of worship, it's got an aura about it. There's just something that you can feel it. The, 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 the atmosphere is charged with the presence of God where there's people that are sincerely worshiping the Lord. But the Bible said that everybody that was there didn't like what was happening. Can I just state to you today that worship sometimes offends people. Don't expect everybody to be happy when you're being blessed. Don't expect everybody to be thrilled about your experience in God. But you can't worry about that, little sister. you got to make up your mind. I didn't come here because I was trying to impress them anyway. I come to get the attention of the Lord. I come to receive something from God. And the Bible says that indignation filled the heart of Judas. Hey, that's a pretty strong word. Indignation. A hatred. A despising of. Filled the heart of Judas. And he said, by the smell of that, that's a very expensive perfume. And it could have been 
sold and the contents or the 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 value of it could have been given to the poor oh but jesus realizing that he was insincere jesus realizing the motivation of his heart and the bible saying that while he was speaking these words he had the bag of silver on him having the bag of betrayal on him he was pointing his finger he was accusing somebody else he had indignation in his heart and jesus said you have the poor with you always but me you have not always and matter of fact he was telling them very very soon i'm going to be taken from this world very soon i'm going to Calvary's cross. I'm going to spend three days in the grave and I'm going to ascend into the heavens. And this is an opportunity that this little girl realized that I only have a door of opportunity to worship God and to give praise unto the Lord and I'm going to take advantage of that opportunity before this dispensational door closes. I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity to worship God. I'm going to tell you there's times that if you're going to do anything for God, you better get busy doing it. If there ever was a time, amen, that you was going to give yourself to the things of God, it's time to give yourself now. If there ever was a time to pray, if there ever was a time to worship, if there ever was a time to give service to, if there ever was a time to be involved, it's now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't procrastinate. Make up your mind. It's now that I have to praise Come on, lift up your hands and let's give some praise to the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost. You can't get a blessing pointing your finger at somebody else. You can't get a blessing criticizing somebody else. You can't get a blessing worried about somebody else across the church or whether or not they're praying or whether or not they're worshiping or whether or not they're doing something you like for them to do or whether or not they're responding appropriately or whether or not, uh, amen, they're living for God like you think they ought to live for God. You just make up your mind. I'm in the presence of the Lord. I need something from God. I need to touch Him. I need to receive of Him. I need Him to bless me. I want something from Him. And nobody else came for something from God. I came for something from the Lord. I came to receive something. And it's that kind of worship that leaves a legacy because the Bible says that the, the Scripture tells us there that the Lord made the statement because she has done this, that gospel, wheresoever the gospel is preached, it's going to be spoken of her. Amen. She's leaving a legacy. What kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy are you leaving for your family? What kind of legacy are you leaving for those that are watching your example? Are you a worshiper? Are you, are you a... A person that is totally committed? Are you someone that is faithful? Are you someone that is consistent about living for God? Are you a part-timer? Are you someone that is always half-stepping? Are you somebody that's just halfway committed to the things of God? You can't get a hold of Him as long as you're pointing your finger at somebody else. Well, if I had a different this or if I had a different that. Some people say, well, if I had a different preacher, 
You didn't live for God the last preacher you had. Amen. I can say a few other things about that. Amen. Your morals didn't suddenly change. Amen. Nothing is different. You're always going to find an excuse as long as you're pointing your finger. Amen. But I'm going to just tell you something. If you want to get a hold of the Lord, if you want to touch Him, if you want to receive something from Him, you can. But you'll never get it pointing your finger at somebody else. Another thing Judah shows us is that you can never get a hold of the Lord when you're holding on to something else. The Bible tells us that he was holding on to that bag of 30 pieces of silver. You can't hold on to that, Judas, and hold on to Jesus. You can't hold on to the things of the world and hold on to Jesus. You can't get a hold on Jesus as long as you're consumed with the things of this life. Amen. The Bible still says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. In other words, everything you need, all of life's all the things you need to, to be sustained, all the things you'll need to, to lead a fulfilled life, those things will be, but when you pursue them first, it seems like you never can get it all together. That's why we read this list of people that supposedly had it all, and their famous last words is, uh, I'm bored with it all, or it did not fulfill, or you read between the lines, I'm unhappy. I couldn't find completeness because things doesn't bring that. Materialism doesn't bring that. Those things out there do not bring that. Only a relationship with God can bring those things to pass. Because it's Him that has created us. It's Him that breathed life into us. And so we were created for His purpose. We were created for His goodwill. We were created to bring glory and praise unto the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us. That He called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. So that we could bring forth praises unto Him. Amen. I'm going to tell you there's nothing that we do that is more in the will of God. When we come to church and we lift up our hands and say God I just want to thank you that I'm still not a sinner but I've been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ amen I've been set free my sins have been forgiven I've been filled with the Holy Ghost they've been washed away in the waters of baptism I'm so thankful to know you God praise God praise God you can't get a hold of him holding on to something else. You can't get a hold of him holding on to an immoral spirit. You can't, you can't hold on to relationships that you think are secret. Relationships that you're hiding from your spouse. 
relationships that you're hiding or you think you have hidden. Come on, I know what I'm talking about here this morning. I'm not off the wall. Amen. And it's not anything I've heard from anybody. Do you think that God can still speak to a man of God? Do you realize that God can still speak to a shepherd about a flock? Do you still feel like that God can speak to men in this hour? I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a space of time that you're going to have to get this right or it's not going to last. Amen. The covers are going to be pulled off of it and it's going to be an embarrassment to you and your family. So you better get it straightened out. Come on, let's clap our hands to the Lord and give him praise. can't hold on to those things and live righteously. And then you cannot be disengaged in a time of worship when it's time to be giving glory to God. I'm going to tell you, there's so many distractions. There's so many things out there. There's so many things to vie for our attention. There's so many things that have the glitz and the glamour and the sparkle and the shine. And if we're not careful to catch our eye and get us distracted, even in a worship service, there's so many things that can come in and divide our attention and and get us off kelter and cause us to be uh, somewhere else when we should be fully in to what God is doing in the church service. But we can be thinking elsewhere. We can be thinking about responsibilities we have in the new week. We can be thinking about uh, uh, the deadlines that are coming up. We can be thinking about all the pressures of life and the things uh, that have us bogged down. We can be thinking of all those things uh, and God's glory and God's greatness uh, and God's power is so accessible. He's so available to us. Uh, There's so much that God wants to do. So many miracles uh, to be obtained. So many blessings uh, to be received and we miss it all because we're distracted. I want to tell you, when it's time for worship, Judas, don't you be looking around finding something to criticize, but you come and worship God also. You come and worship the Lord. You need to be at His feet also, Judas. There's a blessing for you, Judas. There's something God wants to do in your life. you got to be engaged when it's time to worship God. And I keep coming back to those words, the admonishment of Judas. I'm not speaking because I have done this, he said. But if you find him, hold him fast. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the, most, the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Lest at any time... It can happen at any time. At any time, we should let them slip. It's not intentional. It's not always that we're just casting it aside. It's, it slips. I'm going to tell you, all of us, even the greats of the Bible, had slippery seasons in their life. I read about David in Psalms 73. He said, but as far, but as for me... My feet were almost gone. My steps were well nigh slipped. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, 
when I got to looking around, you see, it's always when we're looking outside of ourselves and trying to find happiness outside, out there, trying to compare ourselves with somebody else. That's always what leads to unhappiness and, and a lack of fulfillment. That's always what brings that breach between us and the Lord. He said, I almost missed it. I almost fell. I almost slipped when I saw all the prosperity. They, they weren't going to church. They weren't living for God. And they seemed like they was having a great time. They seemed as though everything was wonderful in their life. But you remember what the Bible said. It said the pleasures of sin. It didn't say there was no pleasures in sin. It said the pleasures of sin are for a season. There is a space of time when it seems like happiness. and It seems like joy. Oh, but it's all a mirage, my friend. You've got to realize that it has a time limit where it's going to expire. It's going to be over with. And there's going to be a day you wish. Amen. With no regrets, I was in the house of the Lord. I, I was worshiping God. I was able to rejoice in the presence of Almighty God. I'm preaching to somebody in this place. You better get a hold on this and don't slip or let it slip away from you. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. You know when most people are going to lose their grip? A lot of times it's going to be when there's a period of waiting that they don't understand. When there's a period of having to be patient and pray and continue to be consistent and faithful when there is not an immediate reward. In fact, there's times where we don't see it. Maybe it's obscured, the blessing that is coming. We can be very close to breaking through to it, but it be obscured so that we don't see it. We don't understand a lot of times how close we are to the breakthrough. We don't understand how close we are to God working in our life in a marvelous way. And we yield to temptation or we give up the fight. He said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. This is not a time to waver, folks. Without wavering, for he is faithful. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. Hallelujah. He said, if you find him, hold him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point him out, but it's going to be up to you to hold him fast. You know, sometimes I preach and I'm just being totally open. I preach and I wonder, is it resonating? Those that need to hear are the hearing, are the receiving. I read something just this week, perhaps you did, about a girl that had lost her father four years ago, but she still texts his number every day. She told him the ups and the downs of her life, how she had beaten cancer over that four-year period, how she had went to college and graduated from college. All the pressures and all the things and the good times. The high times, she would text a text of celebration. The low times, she would text and lament what she was going through. Of course, 
was her dad's phone that had passed away. Little did she know, somebody else had picked up that number, and they let it go on for four years. But they texted her back this last week and said, I lost my daughter four years ago to a car accident, and your text have kept me alive these last four years. And I don't know who you are, but I can tell you if you're wondering, if your life is worth living, it is, because it's helped me. Amen. I don't know as this message goes forth here today if it's resonating with anybody, but I hope to God that somebody in eternity can say, God, I got a grip on that Sunday morning. I got a hold on things. On that Sunday morning, I, I, I got a hold of something like I, I hadn't in a long time on that Sunday morning. I, I got in touch with you in a way that I hadn't in a long time on that Sunday morning. And, and God, I, I felt something I hadn't felt needed to. Amen. That, that in that service, I, I experienced something that I'd never felt before in that service. Amen. I wonder right now, as we stand to our feet and you lift up your hands to God as something. Somebody could reach to get a hold of him today. Somebody needs to get a hold of him this morning. He said, I'm going to lead you to him, but I can't do it for you. Hold him fast. I'm going to tell you as a preacher, I wish I could get a grip for you today. I wish I could, I wish I could get you tied to this. I can't do it for you. All I can do is point him out. All I can do is show you where you can find him. You can find him in an altar. You can find him in a place of prayer. But it's up to you to get a hold on him this morning. I wonder if there's a Jacob in this house that said, I refuse to let go. I got a hold on this. I wonder if there's an Eliezer in this house that will hold on until this thing gets embedded in you. Oh, this thing gets down into the flesh and gets down in the sinew. Oh, let it get down in the fibers of my being, God. Let it become a part of me. Help me to hold on. Help me to hold on. Help me to hold on. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, let's seek him right now. He's in this house. There's people that need to pray. There's people that need to talk to God. There's people that need to seek after the face of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, as they begin to sing, I want you right now to talk to him. I want you right now to reach out to him. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, somebody can get a hold of him this morning. Somebody can touch him today. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, he's available.